The mission was clear. I miss good, happy Star Trek. I mean, it wasn't happy all the time, but it was optimistic. It, it saw a future where we could actually have nice things. And so I sat down and started working on my own optimistic space opera series. Forgetting that I'm me. And now the darkness is starting to creep in. And I don't know if I should fight it or embrace it. So let's talk about that on today's episode of Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and uh, yes, the darkness has come. It comes for us all, but for me, oh so often, like I feel like my entire life is a moral lesson that everyone should listen to Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi, that once you start to walk down the dark path, forever will it haunt your destiny, because it haunts mine. Now, what do I mean by dark path? You see, I set out to write an optimistic future. And, uh, well, the backstory begins with Earth being conquered and the human race being enslaved and scattered throughout the galaxy in a new diaspora. Because that's optimistic now, isn't it? And the more I work on the setting, the more I work on the story, the darkness tries to creep in. Because, after all, that is who I am. I I, I enjoy laughing at the macabre. I, I take a perverse joy in the shadows of life, rather than those things that happen in the light. Yeah, yeah. That's not what I wanted to do, or is it? You see, I am not an optimistic person by nature. That's not exactly who I am. I ascribe to a form of uh, stoic realism, which basically means that you embrace the worst possible thing that could ever happen and then be pleasantly surprised when it doesn't. You remove yourself from the attachment by telling yourself that it's over. You don't say that I like this cup, you say I like cups. And then when that cup inevitably breaks, you just go, huh, well, I have other cups. It's a detachment that works for most things, except for you're supposed to also do it with people, and hmm, I don't think that it's quite appropriate to say I like people, but when somebody gets sick or dies, go, hmm, well, at least I have more people. I don't don't think that, no. That's where the that's where stoic detachment breaks for me. But you know, for the most part, in most instances of my life, it works quite well. It's one of the reasons why Spock and Tuvok and Data tend to be some of my favorite characters in Star Trek. Now, <clears throat> having said that, 
working on my own space opera here, where I'm trying to be much more optimistic and not necessarily that the stories have to be all happy and all rising or anything like that. I mean, for goodness sakes, you can only play You Give Love a Bad Name so many times before it loses all meaning. But, yeah, I, I'm desperately trying to be optimistic. But then, the darkness. Who sits over in the corner? And I'm not talking about Bob. I mean, we all know Bob sits up on my shelf, not down in the corner. No, that would be Azrael who sits down in the corner. Azrael, of course, is that gothic parody character that Chris Kattan used to do in the 90s. Hello, I am Azrael Abyss. Yeah, my gothic tendencies. You know I like to name the little aspects of my personality. Well, Azrael sits in the corner and goes, you know, this would be better if it was painted black. You should talk about their gray eyes. Oh, yes. Uh, their eyes should be so gray. And everything should stress the emptiness and the futility of it all. And then he laughs and giggles, because that's actually what being goth is, at least to me and the people that, you know, I know that are part of the scene. It's about laughing at the darkness. And maybe that's why I'm trying to do it. That's how my mind interprets optimism. You look at the darkness and you laugh. But it's still, it's trying to come in. I'm not going to give spoilers. I try not to give spoilers, especially of stories that aren't even written yet. But let's just say there's some dark, cloaked figures that are wanted to come into the story and bring the darkness into it. To bring the shadows, to bring that gothic nature that permeates every story that I tell. I mean, it is there. I mean, for goodness sakes, if people don't understand that my some of my favorite bands are Echo and the Bunnymen, Christian Death, and Sisters of Mercy, then, well, you don't know the names of any goth bands. <laughs> for goodness sakes, I get into a bad mood and I listen to Ghost. I listen to Pro Memoria and remember that I will die, and I giggle and I laugh, and I go on with my day. But yeah, I have kind of a dark sense of humor. I have a kind of a dark nature about me. But is it wrong to try to put that into my space opera? In short, no. No, it wouldn't be, because that's just making it my space opera. You see, virtually everything that I do has kind of that gothic noir look to it, that gothic noir feel to it. But that's not what I was trying to do. I wanted to write my own Star Trek, and it may not be inappropriate to say that my version of Star Trek would be a little bit more gothy. I mean, my Riker would definitely wear eyeliner and some makeup, because if anybody on the Starship Enterprise should be metrosexual, it should be Riker. I mean, am I right? Yeah, but no, it's not wrong for me to want to do it. It feels wrong because I have set myself up with an ideal of what I wanted to write. You know, that thing that Gene Roddenberry came up with. That some of my heroes, from Dorothy Fontana to David Gerald, have written for. Yes, Harlan Ellison even wrote an episode. 
many of my great heroes wrote for Star Trek. And so in my longing to make something that is Star Trekish, I don't even think that's a word, coined it, tis now, I found myself wanting it to embody more that spirit that I had in the original Star Trek. And that is the problem now, isn't it? You see, we've talked a lot on this podcast about reboots and reimaginings and remakes and whatever re-term they're going to use next, because, you know, there's going to be another thing. You know, we finally hit the threshold of reboot inception. I mean, for goodness sakes, the original A Star is Born was about an actress in Hollywood, and now it's about Lady Gaga and her man-ish. It's more about her man and Lady Gaga's relationship to him, but that's not the point, is it? They're singers now. Because everything has changed. Because the reboot and the reimagining and the remake and the blah and the blah and the blah keep changing it. And that's not a bad thing. That's how culture progresses. That's how culture changes over time. And this is one of the reasons why I've been able to give a pass to things like Picard and Discovery for being a little bit darker in tone. You see, the optimism that we had in the 60s is completely gone. We've realized that no one's going to come and save us. We've realized that the problem with everything is our government. Not that government is not the solution or any right-wing twaddle like that. It's that corruption finds a way to creep in. You can see that even in the 90s with Star Trek The Next Generation. How many time did, times did Picard have to go up against the Federation in that show? Because the corruption was trying to creep in. So you can see the corrupt nature of the Federation by the time of Star Trek Picard just as an outgrowth of everything that was already starting to go wrong during The Next Generation. So I'm willing to give it a pass. And of course, our idea that people will eventually care for one another and we can all come together has been breaking because we as a society have been breaking. We've been loistering ourselves off into our own little groups and not talking to each other, which has led to all kinds of violence and terrorism and trolls, all of whom get pleasure out of causing pain to others which, in turn, has caused us to lose some of the faith that we once had in the potential of humanity to rise above all the pettiness. Because really, wasn't that what Star Trek was about? Was we were able to get over the pettiness? Yeah. Oh, but the pettiness is strong with us these days, isn't it? And so it's hard to imagine a world without it. I think it's important to note here that when I'm talking about the darkness trying to creep into my story, I'm not talking about some like Zack Snyder crap where we're going to get a little Iron Randy in here and everything's going to be grim, dark, and Martha, why did you say that name? Why did you say that name? No, I'm not talking about any of that crap. I mean, we're allowed to have characters with happy stories and happy endings and all of those things. I'm not talking about the grim, dark. Oh lord, no one has time for the grim dark. The grim dark exists in the world. It's called cancer and COVID-19. It's there. It's boring. We've seen it. We don't want to live through it, and we definitely don't want to try to be entertained by it. 
No, when I'm talking about the darkness, I'm talking about that sort of supernatural horror element that always wants to make itself present in my stories. Because as Lovecraft, that racist <laughs> ninny, said, the greatest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the greatest and strongest of these is fear of the unknown. And there is, after all, no greater unknown than what's lurking out there in the blackness of space. What are you going to find on that next planet? It is, after all, a very natural place for supernatural horror to go. We can actually see this. There was Once Upon a Time, and it's kind of difficult to find because several books have taken this name over time, but there was a book called The Tales of the Cthulhu Mythos that came out a while back that had a, basically a lot of Lovecraftian fan fiction and what have you in it. It had works by Stephen King and Clark Ashton Smith and all of those wonderful writers. And even August Derelith was there. Because you just can't escape him, no matter how hard you try. But that's a topic for another episode now, isn't it? Especially if you don't know who he is. Let me know. I'll talk about the true Lovecraftian horror that is August Derelith. But anywho... And one of the stories towards the back of this book was called the what was it Journey to the Goric Zone, and it was, after all, a space opera-ish story with a lot of Lovecraftian elements and way too much interesting gonads for my taste. I mean, honestly, I've read that story I don't know how many times, and every time I get away with it, I can't stop giggling about the fact that the term gonads probably appears fifty times in the opening pages of the story because reasons i guess i don't know it's a messed up story but that's not exactly what i'm wanting to write when i say lovecraftian horror or supernatural horror i'm not saying about necessarily that it needs to have its own cthulhu even though star trek apparently does now we have space cthulhu living in some kind of higher dimension waiting to bring their technological terrors upon us all yeah, that's apparently a thing in Star Trek now, and I will eventually be okay with it. I guess, if I have to. <laughs> no, I'm not necessarily talking about space through, I'm just talking about that element of fear. Yes, there should be optimism, there should be excitement, but that whole, what is around the corner? You see, there's a fine line between anticipation and fear. And most of that, most of that difference is how we interpret the feelings. If you choose to be excited, then you're excited. If you do not choose to be excited, then you are anxious. Physiologically, generally speaking, you're experiencing the exact same thing. It's the mental attitude that goes into it that differentiates between whether or not we are excited or anxious. Other than that, they're essentially the same thing. That is, huh, I think, where my mind is trying to go with this. Because I don't know that I anymore have that innate curiosity that I once did, where I saw adventure over the next hill. No, there's something over there. I don't know what it is. And I'm kind of excited to find out. And I'm a little bit afraid. And I don't know which it's going to be. And there's a thrill in living in that in-between place, between 
anxiety and excitement. And maybe that's what I actually want to accomplish in my story. After all, all I want to do is have fun. That was, after all, if you remember, the original intention for this series was I wanted a series that I could enjoy, that I could have fun with, and that I thought other people would as well. Well, if my enjoyment comes from that kind of satirical darkness that I find so wonderful in gothic dark wave things, then including that would be a way for me to have fun. Because I know I'm not going to replicate Star Trek, and I don't want to. I'm not writing fan fiction, after all. I mean, I could. I've actually thought about it. But that's not the intent of what I'm doing. I wanted to write the space opera that would entertain me. Because, well, the options that I've been finding, especially in mass media lately, have just, with the exception of The Expanse, kind of fallen flat. And I have a really hard time reading space opera books because, well... Most of them are military sci-fi, at least most of the ones that have been recommended to me, and there's a place for military sci-fi, but it's not my bread and butter. It's not exactly what I get excited about. It's not exactly what I want. And so here I am. And I'm sharing this story with you, which you've either found interesting or completely boring, and I apologize if it's the latter, because in seeing how my mind is chewing over this issue, what it actually is is I'm debating over whether or not this story should be uniquely mine, or how close I should try to emulate my heroes and role models in this. You see, my heroes, the, the role models that I find myself actually interested in for this process, with the exception of Harlan Ellison, wouldn't have done the horror bit. They would have told the story that the specs for the script required. And since I have a large collection of setting Bibles for Star Trek. I've, I've actually been coming over them a lot. and Yeah. But they don't matter, really. Because I'm not writing Star Trek. I keep using that as kind of a high concept that I'm putting out there, because that, that's kind of my inspiration. That's my seed theory. I, I want more Star Trek. It's where my heart is, it's where my soul is, and it's where I want to be entertained. But I'm not Gene Roddenberry, and I'm not Harlan Ellison, at least not yet. But if I do, I'll be a queer, fabulous version of him. But, yeah, I'm not any of those people. I knew Dorothy Fontana. I'm not her. So trying to be these other people is not what's going to actually make me happy, nor is it what's going to help me get success. It's all well and good to have ambitions, to have heroes, to have goals, to have ideals to strive towards. And yes, I don't know that I will ever write anything as brilliant in my space opera as City on the Edge of Forever, or as powerful as Best of Both Worlds, or as enthralling as the Dominion War was for me. I don't know. I'll only be able to find out anything resembling an answer when I write my story. And that's kind of the moral of the story for all of this. You see, I'm struggling right now over whether or not to let the darkness in. Because my heroes wouldn't. The show that I'm using as the model, the ideal that I'm wanting to strive towards, would not have done that. 
but I'm not writing that show and I'm not writing for that show. I have to let my fiction be mine or else I should just be writing fan fiction and have done with it. So that hopefully helps you. You see, we get anxious over a lot of things in our lives and especially in our creative journeys. So what's important for us to do through all of it is to hunt down and find out what is it that we're actually anxious about. And once we see that anxiety and we see it clearly, dismantle it. See if there's anything there of value, of merit, that can actually make things better. And if there is, hold on to that. That's important. My concern of whether or not Gene Roddenberry would care for any of the scripts I'm writing, and they're not really scripts, they're stories. Well, yes, it would be wonderful to have a hero pat you on the head and say that you did a good job. I've actually had that happen to me a couple times in my life, and it did feel very good, but it didn't change the hard work or the effort or the energy that I had to put into the project to get it there. No, in the end, these are my stories in my world, and I have to do what I feel is best to make them work. And the same thing is true for your world. It doesn't matter if your favorite writer or the inspiration, the source for your idea would have done it the way that you are doing it. What matters is that you're finding your voice and telling your story. And so that's, that's what I'm going to try to do. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I, 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 I feel weird sharing some of the more deeper thought processes like this in my own head, but I, I do think that they're helpful to see how to work through a problem like this. And I think it's a fairly common problem. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show, down in the show notes, you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean. I would love to use it on the show. If you would rather hit me up on social media, I am C.E. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. Oh, this is hard to say every time. If you have a buck that you can pass my way, it really would mean a lot to me right now. Um, I've got some big bills coming up and, you know, <laughs> we're all living through a global crisis. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So if you can help down in the show notes, uh, you'll find a link to the listener support and my Patreon. It, it really does help out a lot. And, until September, listener support is waiving their fee to help get more of the money to us. So thank you to everybody who does that. It really does mean the world to me. If you don't have the money right now or you don't feel like giving, that is 100% perfectly all right. We also can make money off of the ads. So share the podcast with as many people as you can, and you're actually helping make more money. That, that, that's very helpful, too. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but I am. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you so much for listening. You mean the world to me. You really, really, really do. And until next time, stay safe, stay well, and don't forget to have the fun. Bye. <laughs>